All right, so as we review a little bit, we have already looked at the first seven verses, which provided an introduction, and there was a purpose statement and a thesis to the book. So the purpose statement, right, to hear wisdom and instruction, to see the words of understanding, to grab the instruction of success, justice, judgment, and equity. We talked about some of those key words, right? Chokmah is wisdom, the knowledge of the good, the means to it. Instruction, Musar, is about training in righteousness. And then we have this idea of the words of understanding. We have instruction or training in success. We talked about Haskell, this idea of prospering. So as you learn wisdom, you learn how to act in such a way that will prosper your way. Learning how to act so that your way is prospered. And that is, you know, there's this criticism of the book of Proverbs, right, that there's a, there's a naivete to it, that, you know, if you just do what's right, then you're going to get good things. And so the other wisdom books, uh, we talk about how the other wisdom books help to deal with the suffering in life, but this does teach us the things that tend towards prospering. And... Also, if you do these things as you go through suffering, you will grow in wisdom. So these things tend towards prospering, and if you do them in the midst of suffering, you grow in wisdom. So we had the thesis that was given in verse 7, and that was, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so the idea that we have to have, we have a, when we have a right definition for God, that allows us to be able to, to build knowledge. Without, without the idea of propositions from God, we are not able to have content to populate our own reason. And so we, are, we get right definitions of things. We get a right structure uh, to understand the definition of God and how he has made things from the scriptures. And so... There is an inexcusability that comes from the categories and consideration of the categories of God's attributes. And there is a, a self-examination and a recognition of our own guilt that makes us so that we understand that we are inexcusable. But there is this giving of the life-giving words in Revelation that allows us to, to have a foundation to build upon. But fools despise wisdom. Fools despise wisdom. So if you do not want to be a fool, do not despise the teaching. If you want to be a fool, you want to be ignorant, despise the teaching. If you want to be a fool, hate discipline. But if you want to be wise, seek wisdom, value it, and love discipline. So we talked about how after that, there's this kind of structure called a chiasm. Remember chiasm? It's we got an outline here on the first page. It's, it's kind of this, this crescent type of shape. And so we have that laid out. And we looked at the first two parts of the chiasm. We're looking at the third part next, okay? So the first part, we looked at the father's invitation to come and pursue wisdom and listen to the instruction of the mother versus kind of being the friends with the, the peers, right? The gang versus the family. Then we looked at the idea of Wisdom giving a speech and wisdom rebukes the simple and calls the simple to listen. She goes to the place where she's going to be heard and she speaks forcefully to draw in the simple. And we talked about this idea that there's the simple, you know, the, the naive, 
And then there are those who are fools, who are kind of hardened in sin, in the pursuit of some sin. And there was this kind of interesting set of two words. There's, there's the fool that's a fool because he's slow and therefore kind of just pursues things because he doesn't think very much. And there's the guy who is trapped in sin and as a result he becomes slow in thinking. It's, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, you know. The main thing is, if you don't seek wisdom, you're stupid and you chase after lower things. That's the point. And so, when there's this problem of ignorance, it leads into a hardening into sin. There's then the guy who is tired of being told to repent. And he starts to figure out, how can I mock the speakers of truth and the teachers of wisdom? So we talked about the mocker, the scorner. Okay, so remember the first psalm has these categorized. The ungodly, then there's the sinner, and then there's the scorner. Right? So we have that in the, in the uh, first psalm as well. So we come now, chapter 2, there's this section where the father again starts to speak to his son and he warns against evil women, sorry, evil men and evil women. So we're going to be given categories there. This thing will be broken up. So let's read through Proverbs 21. Sorry, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 22. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity in every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you. To deliver you from the the way of evil, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked. Those sorry, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths, to, li- to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. This section is broken in two groups of 11 verses. 
it is broken into two parts, and I have given a title for the sermon to help you to understand those two parts. This is the father working in the soul of his son and keeping in the soul of his son. What is it to work? To work is to build, to cultivate, right? It's to add things. What is it to keep? It's to guard, hedge, protect. This father here is seeking to build up the soul of his son and to guard what is being built. So let's consider the building section, the first 11 verses. Working, instructing, building into the soul of the son. Verse 1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. Semicolon. Now, there's a then after that. But notice if. If you receive my words, and then at verse 3, if you cry out. We have ifs up here, and there's thens down below. Now, spoiler, the down below is a blessing. The up above is a condition. There's a blessing that comes if a condition is met. What's the condition? My son, if you receive my words. Now, you may remember back in chapter 1, verse 8, the beginning of the speech of the father It says, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Those are the hearing. Now there's a receiving. The receiving is is accepting. It's believing. It's grasping. It's the grasping of the mind. It's taking hold of it with the mind. So in other words, not just understanding the content, but believing the content. Thinking it is true. If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, And so, the teaching of a father, when the father is teaching what God's word says, there's a blessing in receiving it. And we should believe that it's true, and we should value it. We would value the commands if we believed that the commands were teaching us the way of success. And how many books get sold on nine principles of success? 32 steps to the perfect whatever. The 12 easy steps to such and such, right? You know, you, you put a title up of something people want and you put a number behind it and it generally will sell. People are looking for people to give them commands. Unless those people happen to be their parents. And then, no. No. You couldn't possibly have anything that could be useful to me to figure out how to get through life better. Mom and Dad. Parents have a greater concern for your well-being than any other teachers you're going to run into. They're stuck with you. They have to deal with you. And so, if they're going to take the time to teach you, it's because they think they're telling you something right. If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Okay? Listening is one thing. 
Believing what's said is another thing. Valuing it is another thing. And then, imagine for a minute you listen and you're trying to understand the teaching. You're listening to the teaching. You're trying to understand it. You're trying to figure out what's being said. Is this true? Is this not? And you begin to realize there's value in the teaching you receive from your parents. And then you start to go, this is valuable stuff. How can I get more of it into my ear? So then when your parents speak, you incline your ear to listen. You hear what's being said. You begin to apply your heart to understanding it. What's that about? Well, when you're listening and you're trying to understand, you take in the words and you begin to analyze them. You start to consider, what does this mean? What, what is it that you're actually saying here? When we're being resistant, the types of things we do are, no, that's silly because this version of what you just said that I just made up without trying to figure out how it fits together I don't like that. That's silly. Think about this objection. And you try to move on. That's suppressing the truth. That's not seeking to understand. Right? So analyzing what's being said and trying to figure it out. Asking questions to understand. So here's a hint. Parents, if your kids are asking good questions, they're trying to understand. Hey, kids, if you're not asking good questions, you know you're thinking about something else. Right? Asking good questions is a great marker for whether or not somebody is trying to understand. Verse 3. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. Now, it's one thing to hear and to accept and, and value advice as it comes along. It's another thing to look for opportunities to hear it and to start to analyze it and think about it in the heart. It's another thing altogether to ask for it. Asking questions is a form of crying out for discernment. Lifting up your voice for understanding. What's discernment? Discernment is being able to tell the difference between things. It's about dissecting, cutting, differentiating, die. The idea of two. Discernment is about the differentiation between things. Understanding is about getting the meaning of a thing. So if you get the meaning of something and you get the difference between it and something else, you're starting to have a structure in your mind to interpret the world and life and your own choices. Crying out for, lifting up your voice for, discernment and understanding. Children, this is, this is a wise thing to do. Parents, when you hear your children asking what is and why, don't shut it down. Look for opportunity to answer it. You say, I can't answer it right now. We'll get back to that. Better remember it. Get back to it. Write it down. Put it in your phone. What is, why, those two children being philosophers? Those questions are the seeking out of understanding, 
and the searching for discernment. And we should all, young and old, be looking for understanding and seeking discernment. Verse 5. Then, right, here's the blessing, right, we have the condition. If you, if you value wisdom and seek for it, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of His saints. If you try to understand, if you listen while there's opportunity, if you ask questions to seek to get understanding and value the answers and value when you get a right answer, and you begin in your own mind to structure the answers and fit them together so you can realize that there's some things that are more basic than others, as you think through those things, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. What's that understand? God's powerful, scary, I'm bad, right? Seems simple. Understanding the fear of the Lord, having a right definition of God. Question four of the Shorter Catechism. What is God? God is a spirit. What does that mean? What is a spirit? What's a mind? Well, most people have a pretty clear view of what a mind is. What is God? God is a spirit. Okay, I know what that is more than I did before. Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In his being, wisdom, power. Wait a second, wait a second. Infinite. What is infinite? What is eternal? Is infinite the opposite of finite? What's eternal the opposite of? Temporal. Unchangeable versus changeable. Okay, now we take these three terms, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. What's a being? You have to define things in order to understand them. Like chasing down the definitions. What is the meaning of the thing? What is the meaning of the thing? And once you understand the definition of God in the Bible, the horrifying thing is you realize you can't possibly deny Him. And it's horrifying because of what I said at the beginning, which God is powerful and He's scary if you're evil. But that has a whole different meaning when you understand that He's a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, then if you just think, God's scary if you're bad. When you seek the meaning of things, when you try to understand the meaning of terms, when you have right definitions, and you start to differentiate between things, A and non-A, infinite, finite, eternal, temporal, unchangeable, changeable, you start to differentiate. 
you understand the fear of the Lord. And you find the knowledge of God. Now the fear of the Lord is understanding the curse that we deserve. The knowledge of God, well that's eternal life. Could it possibly be the Lord Jesus Christ in John 17 had a deep understanding of this particular verse and understood that he was explaining that the knowledge of God is eternal life and that when we fear God, we're fearing eternal death? Right, John 17, 3. If you haven't memorized that verse, I encourage you to memorize it. This is eternal life. To know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Young ones, you must seek to understand the meaning of things. You must try to see the difference between things. Otherwise, you will be governed by perceptions without understanding. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. The Lord gives wisdom. He gives the knowledge of what is good and how to get it. He by His mouth speaks to us what is true and shows us how to be able to justify it. To defend it. There are examples throughout Scripture of argumentation so that we understand logical argumentation. The Lord gives wisdom and He gives knowledge and He gives understanding. He defines things for us. He does this in two ways. One, He gives us objective external revelation. He gives us propositional truth. And secondly, he causes us to believe it by illuminating our minds. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. So there's this blessing here that storing things up is so that when bad things happen, you have what you need. A shield is to guard you from harm. Guarding is to be aware of dangers and to be able to respond to them. And preserving is about stopping harm. He, he gets sound wisdom and he, he, he stores it up for our use. He, he guards us when we do the right thing so that we won't stumble, so we won't be harmed. So that though we be in battle and 10,000 fall to our right and 1,000 to our left, that still we stand. He guards our paths and prevents us from being ambushed and cut off. He preserves our way so that it's not eroded and destroyed by the nature around us. He causes dominion to be done and for the work to last. Now, weren't we just talking about Wisdom and knowledge and understanding. How did we get to storing things up and shields and guarding and preserving? These are talking about how God gives knowledge, He gives wisdom, and then He preserves it. This is the perseverance of the saints. 
And so that means we, we think about the understanding of the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Okay, so the knowledge of God's eternal life, which means it's not temporary life. Okay, it's everlasting. All right, understanding the fear of the Lord. When you meditate on and seek understanding, when you meditate on the truth and seek understanding, the reason you can start to come to deal with the fear of the Lord is because you stop suppressing the knowledge of God's law and of God once you realize, yes, I am guilty, but there's salvation. When there's just the law of God and there's no salvation, all the rules are just more condemnation. If you're guilty and you confess it to the Lord, you acknowledge that Christ has paid for your sins, that He has given you a righteousness that is not your own, you can now, in a position of gratitude, seek to apply what God has commanded, knowing that you're not condemned. That's why, verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you. Right? If you meditate on the law of God, it, it gives you a light. You know how to go. You're not going to walk in darkness all the time. You've got wisdom. You have a light so you can see the way. You're not going to think about the law all the time if the law is just condemning. When you have wisdom, when you think about the truth, then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. Because you're not going to run away from it. And you're not going to distort it so that it's keepable. Verse 10. Uh, I'm sorry, one last thing before this uh, moving on. Then we will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. The, the psychological block that we most do, it's valuable to, to identify these it helps with conflict resolution. It helps with your own thinking. When you see what God teaches you to do and you're tired of the guilt of failure, the tendency is to try to cover it up to yourself or to other people. If you can't cover it up, you try to figure out how it's somebody else's fault. Blame shifting, right? Okay, I didn't do it. Oh, irrefutable evidence I did it. It wasn't my fault. Oh, it's clear that I was the one who chose to do it. Well, it was right then. It was good to do. It was the right thing. It was the best thing. Nothing else could be better. Right? Self-righteousness. We're always looking for ways to cover stuff up, shift the blame, or justify what we've done. Now, if it was right, sure, justify away. But if it was wrong, you're calling wicked good. So when we have the knowledge of God, when we have the fear of the Lord, we can move past that need to cover up and blame shift and self-justify. So when wisdom enters your heart, when knowledge is pleasant to your soul, that's when discretion preserves you. That's when understanding keeps you. So when you love wisdom, when you love knowledge, then you start to seek it out and you're filling your time with useful thinking and you're not thinking about foolish things. 
And so you begin to make choices and think about goals that are different. And so it naturally is the case that discretion and understanding will preserve you and keep you. Let's go to the other side. Okay, you don't have wisdom. You don't have knowledge. You don't think knowledge is pleasant. Does that tend towards discretion not guarding or preserving you and understanding not keeping you? Right? When you don't find wisdom pleasant, when you don't find knowledge pleasant, you don't seek it out. And as a result, you confront more and more situations that you haven't thought about ahead of time. You don't have a grid to interpret it. And so you make dumb decisions. Now, we're moving into the next part, verses 12 to 22. This is about keeping, guarding, hedging the soul of the sun. The previous one is about, look, there's all these benefits to getting wisdom. On the other side, the keeping, the guarding, the hedging. Right? What, is, what, is, what does wisdom do? It delivers you from the way of evil. It delivers you from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. We pray, deliver us from evil. Wisdom is one of the principal means to deliver us from that because wisdom helps us to make choices that align us with what is good. Wisdom helps to deliver you from the way of evil. Wisdom is the knowledge of what is good. And how to get it. Wisdom is the knowledge of what is good and how to get it. And so unless you can define what is good, how will you stay away from the way of evil? And how about the man who speaks perverse things? How can you determine what the man is who who speaks perversely? You judge what he says, and you contrast it with Scripture. If you contrast it with Scripture and you say, these things are different, then now you have the discernment to be able to tell if this is perverse speech or not. If it's right speech, it will conform to Scripture. It will align with Scripture. If it's perverse, it speaks against it. If the man contradicts himself, then the man's ways are perverse. People that are unstable, they don't have wisdom, they contradict themselves, they go left and right, back and forth, they're tossed about by every wind of doctrine, they're up and down about the same thing, there is not a stability. Speaking perverse things is the opposite of what the father is trying to do here. Right, The father is seeking to build up the soul of his son and he's trying to now hedge him against the things that would tear down what's built. Think about the word instruction for a second in terms of the English. To instruct is like, look at the thing about structure. Right? You're trying to put structure in. How about edifying? When you edify or educate, what you're trying to do is you're building an edifice. You're building, right? You're you're creating structure in the soul. 
And those who are simple or foolish or scorners want to tear down. Wisdom is to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. How can you tell the path of uprightness, or you might say like the, the level way, the, the way that is orderly, versus the way of darkness? You test them with the law. Right? The law is a lamp unto our feet, and we can see the way and see is this an even way, a good way, or is this a rocky road? We have to be aware of those, in verse 14, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked. Right? Rejoicing in doing evil. The law of God teaches us the difference between what is good and what is evil. And when people rejoice in things that are not commanded or in things that are forbidden, think about the wickedness of that. And furthermore, the idea of delighting in the perversity of the wicked. When we see this frequently in our own culture, that this idea that, that there is a pride to sexual immorality, the delighting in the delighting in breaking the seventh commandment. Our culture teaches us to delight in it. There are multi billion dollar corporations governments right? the whole system of institutions is pushing the idea that we should delight in the perversity of the wicked so the law of God wisdom as we, as we begin to understand the truth it delivers us from evil it helps us to see crookedness and deviousness of paths and so we can tell the evil man from the good man now last time we talked about the idea that that a part of holiness is the idea of knowing where your loyalties belong understanding where your loyalties belong is based upon commitments covenant commitments understanding what God has commanded and what institutions God has built and what those institutions are supposed to do. And so as we understand what God has established and we see what those institutions are supposed to do, we know where our loyalties lie. We understand what holiness is, what we're to be set apart unto. We know that covenants provide a hedge and commitment and connection. And so we differentiate between the men that we should tie ourselves to and the men we should separate from. Now, the other issue is that there's the same problem with women. And evil in men and evil in women looks different. Evil in men, to a large extent, looks like this effort to gain influence and to influence to evil and to get people to come along with them in their wicked ways, and to kind of build up this band. We saw that before, right? Because it's kind of the gang, right? The gang of guys. Women, in the immorality of women, there is this effort to use a different mechanism as opposed to this sort of the gang. <clears throat> in one place, there is this 
easy sort of friendship and camaraderie, and, and we saw how the gang is trying to get money and pleasure and power. Right? So easy money, easy pleasure, easy power. One of the great temptations in terms of the immoral woman is the offering to the man of easy sex. And so to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Men, boys, men, flattery is a powerful tool because we crave respect. You crave it. You crave respect and you know it. And flattery is when somebody tells you something that sounds good about yourself, even if it's a lie, in order to influence you. Now, that flattery, that flattery is a dangerous tool to draw you in to be controlled by a woman. Why do women wear immodest clothing? Women wear immodest clothing because it's a way of exercising power over men. Now, you can hear anything you want about, I think it's cute, my friends like it, whatever. The reason to expose nakedness, to uncover the thighs, to uncover the chest, right? Why does this happen? Why is this all over the place? Why are there billboards with it? It's an effort to control men and to get them to be manipulated to do what the woman wants or whoever happens to be paying that woman. The immoral woman is a trap. Cheap sex is a trap. Where does sex belong? It belongs in marriage between a man and a woman. And that is it. Wisdom, understanding helps to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. There is a tendency for women to abandon men if there's a better opportunity. And there's a tendency for men to trade in women when they get older. Why is this? What's the power dynamic between men and women? Men are less powerful when they are young. They have less money when they are young. They are less impressive when they are young. And women tend to be more beautiful when they are young. So what's going on? Well, the woman has her greatest negotiating power when she's young, and the man has his greatest negotiating power when he's old. As a woman, your goal is to find, while you're young, a man with good character. And you know who's really, really good at seeing through men who have bad character? Dads. Dads who care are really good at finding what young men are losers and which young men should not get access to the daughter. Okay? So dads are a protection to help you to understand which guys are losers. Now, young men often who have good character are not the flashiest of men. They're not the, the best at peacocking. They're not the best at getting attention from young ladies. And so, dads, it's our job to look for men who are young men who have good character, who are of a similar age to our own daughters. Your daughter starts getting 10, start thinking about it. Okay. You're looking for men that are worth trying to encourage building a relationship. So this idea that there is a trade imbalance. Now, you need a man with good character because the commitment is made when the man is less valuable and the woman appears to be more valuable. But what happens is 
the woman becomes more valuable to that man if he has good character as time goes on. Because they build together. And as they build together, the idea that marriage is for working together, the idea that you are companions in this life, that's intensely valuable. It takes a long time to build unity. Godly women are hard to find. And so, men, our goal has to be to not be deceived just by the outward because this is what happens. You fall for a seductress. You fall for an immoral woman. And you know what she's going to do? She's going to trade you in for somebody who's better using her seduction skills. If you don't have a man who has good character, he will trade you in when he is more powerful and more wealthy for somebody who's younger. Because he doesn't think of you as a person. He thinks of you as a sex object. Okay? This is, the book of Proverbs is really, really just plain about this stuff. So, young men, beware of women who are seducers. Because you know what that means. They're not loyal. They're not holy. They don't know what commitment means. If they're trying to seduce you, they're, gonna, they're either abandoning the companion of their youth or they're going to abandon you and not be someone who's reliable. And so, this is a person who forgets the covenant of her God, marriage. Her house leads or sinks down to death. And she will destroy her home and cause it to be a place of death. And she will lead other people to the dead. Nobody who goes to her returns. And they don't reach the paths of life. Okay, so sexual immorality. You know, a lot of people, when they go to college, they start to question their Christian faith. You know why that is? Here's the, here's the common question. The common question is, who did you start sleeping with? Okay, most of the time, people don't go, to, go, don't go to college and say, you know what, the arguments of these atheists are so rigorous. They're so good at thinking. All their thinking is amazing. Right? There's none of that. Nobody's sitting there going, wow, I never thought that something could cause everything, or nothing could cause everything. I, I never realized before that, that nothingness had the power to make everything. It's so amazing. The argument is so profound. It doesn't happen. You don't go to college and go, yeah, atheism is really amazing. The intellectual rigor of it, the structure of it, the way it explains everything. But atheism means you can't think truth. Atheism means you can't think truth. If there is no God, then truth is not eternal, and you can't know truth. That's it, okay? So it's not intellectually rigorous. You can't support thinking with atheism. What happens is, people start to engage in the great debauch. They find, oh look, there's easy access to half-naked women here, and I'd like to keep getting access to these scantily clad women, or I'd like to continue to get access to these boys who are willing to give me attention. And so in order to justify this, I'm going to find a way to suppress my conscience. And you know what? All of my professors hate God. I'm going to look for the best arguments that they can give me to help me to continue to do the wickedness that I want to do. And when you're trying to persuade yourself, you can be pretty persuasive. So, the great debauch started in colleges before the great apostasy. And so the ways of the wayward woman, they do not lead to life, they lead to death. 
So the, this father, he's trying to guard. He's trying to guard his son. Son, look out for evil men. Son, look out for the wayward woman. They will destroy your conscience. They will get you to twist the truth and to go in perverse ways. They will get you to love death rather than life. Right? The alternative is, look for godly men. Spend a lot of time with them. Gain wisdom. Find a good woman to marry. Be holy unto her. Be careful to guard that relationship and to keep sexuality in marriage alone. You see how much more beautiful and pure and clean and stable that is? So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth, from the land, and the unfruitful will be uprooted from it. Look, we have to be careful to put off evil and put away friends that are not worth our time so that we have time to do what is wise and good and walk in the way of goodness. There's blessing that comes from that and there's curse that comes from evil. The wicked are cut off and faith will be uprooted. The upright dwell in the land. The blameless remain in it. Building. Guarding. Working. Keeping. This is what fathers are supposed to do. Children, you were supposed to accept it with gladness. Comments, questions, objections from the voting members, from those with floor rights. Okay, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to find knowledge pleasant, that you would cause wisdom to dwell in our hearts. We ask that you would help us to have understanding and discernment, that we would be able to tell the difference between what is perverse and what is upright. I ask that you would help us to be careful, to be concerned for what your word teaches I ask, Father, that you would help us to meditate on your word day and night and to not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked or the mocker. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.